It's Monday, May 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, David Hansen and Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, guys. What Back else? from a long week of Foolapalooza. Yes. We all survived the Motley Fool's annual meeting. We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll mm. talk a little bit about Foolapalooza. We've also got General Motors in the news, but let's start with the the big deal of the week or potentially the big deal of the week because this is not finalized, but Apple is in talks to buy Beats for $3.2 billion. On the surface, David, I think there are people who look at this and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got this massive company in Apple. You've got this, some would argue, an upstart company in Beats, uh, co-founded by Andre Young, a.k.a. Dr. Dre, from the rap group NWA. And it doesn't necessarily seem, it seems a little bit like this could be a strange bedfellow situation. But the more you dig into this, the more it seems like this could be uh, a, a good deal for all involved and a particularly smart move for Apple. I wonder how many like 75-year-old investors were like, who's this Dr. Dre? Is he, is he like Dr. Oz? Does he have that yeah, show? Yeah. And then they do a Google search. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe find some of his early work. Not getting work. medical advice from that guy. Uh, well, you know, medical marijuana industry is yeah. booming, so maybe you could. Maybe he could. Uh, it, it seems like a okay deal. It seems a little pricey from Apple's perspective, but I mean, when you look at Apple's cash, I guess they can afford to throw a couple billion around. Doesn't doesn't make a big difference there. Kind of looks like a little bit of desperation for me. It's the drawbacks of Apple's closed system here. Heather, not on the the open. Everybody come develop apps for us, develop software uh, for our platform here. This is the drawback of having the closed system with Apple, and this seems as kind of like a reach of hey, we need to figure out something to attract more people to our platform. So uh, it's not a bad deal in terms of it's a small bet for them, but a little bit of desperation, in my opinion. I'm only surprised by the timing, just because they had rolled out iTunes Match, which is their pay-for streaming service, their attempt to compete with Pandora and Spotify, and... Maybe they just gave up on that quickly. We do know that iTunes sales are dropping. Obviously, it doesn't move the needle in a huge way, but that is a concern, particularly if you work in the iTunes division at Apple. And they must know their data better than anyone. And one of the reports I saw, Taylor, was unnamed sources, of course, unnamed sources saying that they've been impressed by Beats and their streaming service and how they've been able to convert people from the free model to the pay model. And who knows? Maybe they're just saying, you know what, why wait another year to figure out if iTunes Match is working? Let's just buy these guys. It could make some sense. Uh, iTunes, I think, is what really tied the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod all together and made people want them because of the ability to sync your music over iTunes. But now that people don't necessarily need to buy music, iTunes has been losing some of its luster aside from the apps that you can purchase. Um, so streaming is the next big thing. Apple's clearly late to the game um, because the the next best thing that they could purchase was a headphones company. I think it make, maybe makes a little bit of sense for them because at least in the near term, Beats headphone sales will provide some cash flow, some profit to actually um, kind of validate this deal a little bit. But, I mean, to see a $3 billion deal overshadow the $100 billion offer for from Pfizer for AstraZeneca and a few other big deals, 
just speaks to the the desire of Apple shareholders and just investors in general to try and see something happen positive out of Apple that's maybe trying to drive sales outside of what they've been the rut they've been stuck in. This isn't an innovation though. You're still waiting for Apple's next big innovation. Um, Tim Cook is from the operations side. He's yet to come out with his Steve Jobs moment, and uh, this clearly isn't it because it's just a, a minor acquisition. Well, and you you raise a good point about the size of this deal relative to other deals that we've talked about over the past few months. Because, you know what, David? Even if they are overpaying a little bit, it's still a fraction of the sum that Facebook paid for WhatsApp. But I think it's just the fact that Apple is making any kind of an <laughs> they're acquisition. They're finally spending. It's like, oh my gosh, they're actually going to go out and buy a company that, you know, yes, they've made tiny private company acquisitions here and there. But this is a company, this is a consumer brand. And according to reports, a consumer brand that Apple at least according to these reports, is going to keep the Beats brand, mm-hmm. which is not how Apple has operated in the past. Right, and you can you can play devil's advocate in saying that, is this them stepping away from their core competency of not going out and acquiring things and actually developing things in-house? And yes, they've gone out and bought um, some kind of fringe competitors. Uh, I think when it comes to Siri, didn't they go out and buy kind of peop- companies that support that type of software? So they've they've bought companies in the past this is a big one for them. So you could make the case that are they starting to deviate away from their strategy? And is that a good thing? I don't know. General Motors is still dealing with the PR nightmare from the recall of two and a half million vehicles because of the faulty ignition switch. And now they have another perception problem because according to the latest survey of top suppliers to the auto industry in the United States, General Motors is now considered the worst big automaker to deal with. (laughs) This is surprising in part because Chrysler has just held this title of worst (laughs) automaker in this survey. They've almost embraced it up until now. They have hugged it closely. You're going to pry this award from our cold, dead hands since 2008. Um, GM, just to go uh, in order from top to bottom, Toyota was voted the best to work with, then Honda, then Nissan getting the bronze medal, edging out Ford, Chrysler fifth, and GM dead last. This really seems like not just a perception problem. This seems like this is a day-to-day problem. Like, if you're an auto supplier, aren't you possibly using this survey and the results of this survey to either use it against GM, work, work to get better terms mm-hmm. for your business, or I don't know, this just, <laughs> just seems like a pretty, a, a pretty bad hit above and beyond the perception stuff. It really is. I mean, you've, you've got all kinds of stakeholders getting kind of uh, worked over here by GM, the customers with all the recalls they've had. Now the suppliers are coming out. And even us, the taxpayers, lost, I think, $11.2 billion on the U.S. bailout investment in GM. So, uh, Publicity isn't a good publicity hasn't been GM's thing lately, and to see that they hid that last recall since 2001, millions of people or millions of cars put at risk with the the passengers also. So, uh, GM's management team under fire, and now to see suppliers, which is vitally important for GM because these are the guys that are providing the parts, innovating, and if they're not getting privy to they're not privy to the next best thing in an automotive sector. You're going to see Toyota continue to widen the gap as the world's top auto manufacturer, and uh, you see three of the the top three all from non-U.S. automakers is uh, pretty shocking to me. You said there were six. There were six. Toyota, six. Toyota, <laughs> Toyota one, Honda, Nissan third, Ford Motor fourth, Chrysler fifth, and General Motors dead last. Yes, yeah, suboptimal to be last, but you're last out of six. So it's like somebody's. 
Yeah, it's a small group. Yeah, well, it's eighty-five percent of U.S. auto sales, though. So it's it's a small number, but it's like the bulk of auto sales. Right, but this is an industry where there's such few, like few players. There's got to be someone. That's the worst. I mean, it's not (laughs) now is not a good time to feel great about GM, but from a stock perspective, you have to ask yourself: does does that matter? Maybe you could convince yourself that the supplier issue matters because it can. They can be last to get better pricing, new technologies into their car from the suppliers. So maybe, but if the price is right with the stock, it can be justified. So I'm not saying that the price is justified here. I, I think I don't. I'm not a buyer of GM stock today. It's not an industry that I love. But in circumstances like this, if the price is still right, it can still be a, a good stock to buy. In my opinion. shares are up a couple of percentage points today. So clearly, this news is not adversely affecting the stock. I do like that you led with something that I'm. I'm dead certain that there's one executive at GM saying exactly the same thing when this report came out saying, well, come on. We're I number mean, six. I, I mean, <laughs> there's got to be someone worse, right? I mean, they're not polling everybody. Well, I think if you factor in German automakers, they dropped a seven because BMW sneaks in there. But then they're not last. I'm, I'm not sure which of the other German automakers fell behind them, but uh, I mean, you're worst among your peer group. That's never a good thing. They're, and just to, to supplant Chrysler, who, as you said, has been that spot for 2008, GM yeah. really had to work hard for it. <laughs> I mean, um, there is the old saying, never waste a good crisis. It really seems like relatively new CEO Mary Barra has got a couple of crises that uh, hopefully she's not going to waste these opportunities and and uh, put them to use to turn her company around. You touched on something uh, earlier today, Taylor, when we were talking about this, the, the whole idea of stakeholders, thinking about all of your stakeholders, because it's very easy to think in terms of just producers and customers, but there's also outside stakeholders. There's your partners, your suppliers, that sort of thing. And that was certainly one of the themes that we touched on at our annual meeting. Um, I'm curious if there was any sort of key business. It can be about business. It can be about investing. If there was any thing you took away from our annual meeting um, that uh, it can be surprising. Anything in particular that you you um, really find yourself thinking about over the weekend? Um, uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I judge our annual meeting by how many notes I take mm-hmm. <laughs> during the meeting portion, and uh, I took a lot of notes. I mean, the last the last few years, I found myself taking a lot of notes. The, the presentations have been great. Um, uh, we had breakout sessions for the first time ever, which I, I found very valuable. But David, w- what stood out to you? On the conscious capitalism perspective, I'll take the the opposite view from what I mean. We we're saying how how it's a good thing. To consider all your stakeholders. Yeah, to consider. And yes, it's always good to consider all your stakeholders. Like our listeners. (laughs) But I'm just just trying to play devil's advocate to Taylor today because I think he's going to take the stance in favor of conscious capitalism. And (laughs) I I like the idea. It makes sense in theory. Um, But I think you risk looking at anecdotal evidence more than kind of actual historical and financial evidence in companies sometimes because we can pick out companies that exemplify conscious capitalism and say, look, they did it. They were successful. That's all you need to know. But ignoring the people that maybe they did it too, but they weren't successful. And they failed so for every For every one that's successful utilizing conscious capitalism, there could be – I'm not saying there are, but there could be nine or ten that fail at doing that. So I like the idea in theory. I don't base all of my investment decisions on conscious capitalism because you can look at the anecdotal evidence and be skewed in terms of what's really successful. So um, – I like it in terms of what we're doing here at The Motley Fool. I loved everything that Tom and David Gardner, our founders, said about how they're embracing conscious capitalism. And I think that's a good thing for our business. 
but looking outside and at a uh, at stocks that that I would potentially buy doesn't factor in completely. Taylor, am I an idiot? <laughs> no, you're not an idiot. I think I think we have the ability to scale conscious capitalism. We're only about 300 employees, and we are serving a lot of people, but we're not anywhere near a GM or anything. I think it'd be tough to tough to prioritize stakeholders um, in GMs in GMs instance. I mean, obviously the customer has to rank pretty highly. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of times major corporations put the investors first, which isn't always the best thing to do. Um, so, I mean, I, I would I don't use conscious capitalism to invest, but to turn it back to uh, what I learned, uh, I enjoyed David Gardner saying that we're a technology company. A lot of people look at us as a financial news services company, but we're using technology inside of our HQ and uh, our other international locations to really um, dive into the data, uh, innovate as far as how our offerings are, are laid out to our viewers, our readers, and our members. So I think you know we're going to continue to stay ahead of the curve, and I'm interested to see what we talk about at next year's Full Palooza as far as what we accomplished this year. David, you touched on something that reminded me of one of the things you and I talked about a week ago when we were talking about the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. And that was, you were mentioning the Markel breakfast, and it just got me thinking too. Yes, there are absolutely, you can have your systems as an investor, you can have your screens or whatever your process is, but always leave yourself open to the fact that there's going to be some company you encounter. And I'm guessing that Tom Gaynor, the chief investment officer at Markel, is maybe one of those people that you can encounter where you just as an investor say, you know what, I'm absolutely investing in that guy mm-hmm. or that gal that leader yes this is when i run my numbers this is not necessarily a business i'm interested in but i'm so blown away by that person i am absolutely betting on them and their success and i'm going to tie myself to them i want to mention two public companies that entered into our annual meeting uh, the first is the Hyatt Hotel Corporation because for the second year in a row, we were at the Chesapeake Hyatt in Cambridge, Maryland. Great property. Highly recommend. If you find yourself on the eastern shore of Maryland that you stop by there, they they were just great to deal with and, and uh, treated us wonderfully. And so that was great. The other public company, Booz Allen Hamilton. <laughs> now, we were not the only company having a meeting on the premises. Booz Allen Hamilton, a very large management consulting firm, publicly traded, had a small management training going on. And the only reason I know this is because on the way from where our hotel rooms were to where the meeting portion of our annual meeting was, we walked by this one room and the door was open and they had the sign on the wall that just said Booz Allen Hamilton. You could smell the suits. You could <laughs> smell the suits through the door. <laughs> said David Hansen with disdain dripping from his voice. No, they weren't in suits. Okay. But it was a management training. I, I don't know how many people were there. Given the size of the room, it was maybe 40 people, maybe 50 people. Not nearly the contingent we were representing. No, no. We were much larger. And yet, on Thursday night, when we were having our party after our dinner, some of the Booz Allen Hamilton people... Again, this is management training. Uh, decided they were going to try and crash our party. They managed their way into our party. Yes, yeah. yes. And then we managed to figure out who they were and, and quickly kicked them out. So, I don't know. Take, take from that what you will. If you are looking at Booz Allen Hamilton as a potential investment, you could say, you know what? They're innovating. They're, try- they're, they're trying to break the rules and get in. Good for them. Or you could say, really? Management trainers, you're so focused on... 
Really? That's what you're doing? You're were, trying to crash the Motley Fool's party? They were trying to put the booze in Booze Allen Hamilton. That's all they were trying to do. Maybe they heard that we were a top <laughs> company to work for, and they're trying to get some best practices. Oh. I'm not too sure. I could be. I don't I don't know what the glass door rating is at Booze Allen Hamilton. I doubt it's as high as us. It's not as high as ours. All right. David Hanson, Taylor, Mark, and the guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.